People are everything in a business. People are what will drive you from the zero to 10 million, then the 10 million to 100 million, then the 100 million to a billion. It will be from people and great product and great storytelling. If you don't have those three, you're in trouble. Welcome to the Startup CPG Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Freitag. What does it take to build the next household chocolate brand name like Hershey or Cadbury? The team at Midday Squares is on the road to find out. And today we're joined by Jake Carls, co-founder and rainmaker. If you aren't familiar with Midday Squares, head to your nearest Target produce section, grab a square of incredible functional chocolate, and give their product a little quick merchandising love in startup CPG community fashion. My favorite flavor on the market is peanut butter, but as you may have heard in our Expo East recap, I got to try the new cookie dough flavor, and it was my favorite bite of the show, maybe my new favorite midday square in general. And P.S., this new flavor that we'll talk about during this episode drops December 22nd of this year. Midday Squares is on the road to $100 million in revenue and entertains diehard fans like myself with their innovative use of social media as reality television. There are so many incredible interviews with the Midday Squares team, including their own podcast, and I'll link a few of my favorites in the show notes. So I asked Jake if he'd go in deep for our startup CPG community about mental health, navigating challenges, and how to celebrate wins and build momentum. And of course, he delivered. Listen in to hear from Jake about their recent national U.S. target launch, how the Midday Squares team is structured, including working with two other co-founders and co-CEOs, why Midday Squares is on the road to $100 million, and what it means to be world-class, how and why they intentionally work with a business therapist regularly, and why founder conflict kills so many brands if left unresolved, how they navigated really tough decisions and the situations recently with changing pack sizes and pausing U.S. e-commerce shipments, what it looks like to regularly celebrate wins as a team and keep the momentum rolling, Jake's daily dance habit and how he brings it now to people around the world and more. Before we hear from Jake, I want to share more info about Mondelez International's Snack Futures Collab program because applications are open right now. Moonshot Snacks is a collab program alum with their delicious climate-friendly crackers and here's how founder Julie used the time in Colab to refine their brand messaging. Working with Colab has been fantastic in helping us to tighten up our messaging and understand what the frame should be to really create a movement where everyone feels seen and everyone feels welcome. For the 2023 Colab cohort, Mondelez International is looking for startup snack brands who are delicious and disruptive, have won the attention of retailers and consumers, and have at least $1 million in annual revenue. Last cohort, three brands selected for the program were from our Startup CPG community, so this could be you. To learn more after this episode, head to Apply Colab, that's applycolab.com to complete the application to be part of Colab or grab the link in the show notes. Now let's hear from Rainmaker Jake. Hi, Jake. Welcome to the show today. So excited to have you here. I am fired up. I just got off a red eye, which means I flew overnight, didn't sleep a penny. Probably went on a nine day trip, slept a total of like 12, 12 to 20 hours. And I'm here today and I'm fired up to, to get deep with you and, and, and go into the nitty gritty, the dirty details of midday squares, the good, the bad, the ugly. Awesome. I love it. I'm so 
so thankful that, you know, for all the ways that you show up for our startup CPG community. And I'm a big fan of Midday Squares myself. I saw the news of the Target launch this week and immediately rushed to Target and they were like, girl, chill. Like we just got this in the back. Like we haven't had time to put it out yet. And I was like, but will you put it out just for me? And they're like, no, come back in like two days. And I was like, okay, fine, I'll chill out. But I'm going to be back there the moment that it's out on the shelf. So I'm I'm amped up. Yes, you just know that fires me up. I can, I'm going to share that with the team because you know what? We, we appreciate your support. We appreciate you always being there and, and, and cheering us on and being part of this journey. And Startup CPG has been a phenomenal resource, a phenom- phenomenal community, and just just a lot of good vibes. You know, Every time we have trade shows, every time we meet up, I, I really have a good time and I love the people part of it. So thank you for everything you do and thank you for everything that they do. Yeah, awesome. Thank you. And can you, can you start us off by just telling us a little bit about the Midday Squares products and the different flavors that you have available? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So basically, Midday Squares, we like to call it the first functional chocolate bar. And what that means is basically we took, imagine taking a dark chocolate, delicious indulgent that's made with real chocolate and having a baby with a protein bar, but getting rid of all the junk that's in protein bars. So all the artificial flavors, the preservatives, the stuff that makes you bloat, all the stuff that makes you feel really bad inside, we removed. And we made it a chocolate bar that was high in protein, high in fiber, and tasted absolutely delicious with a very clean label in terms of ingredients. And we have three flavors at the moment. We're launching a fourth, which I'm excited to talk about. But for our first flavor is, is fudge, yeah, which we're actually changing the name to brownie batter because Ooh. we did a form and it's tasting more like a brownie now rather than a fudge, you know, so we're excited about that. Our second product was the almond crunch. So this is like a crispy almond chocolate flavor. And then the third one, our best current seller is peanut butter, which is kind of like a healthier version of a Reese. Um, that's what our customers say, you know, that's how they interpret it. Uh, and then the fourth one, which I'm super jazzed about, which is launching in the next two and a half months is cookie dough. And it is, it is bonkers. Like it is the most nostalgic tasting item that we've created. I believe it's going to do more, more sales than peanut butter, but I'm excited to see it. And and yeah, we just had our internal trials from our, from our top customers here in Canada and they are freaking out. Oh my gosh. That sounds so delicious. I have to, I, I, peanut butter is my favorite favorite uh, for sure, but I cannot wait to try cookie dough. I'm so excited. And I just, I can't believe how clean the ingredients are. I had, we had some friends over and we had midday squares in the fridge, of course. And they're like, oh, can I try one? And I was like, yeah. And they were eating it and they were like, wait, like what's in this? And I was like, you're, you're gonna like, your mind's gonna be blown when you look at the back of the label. And they were like, oh, like these are all like just real things, but it tastes amazing. And I was like, yep. Yeah, that's why our fridge is stocked. <laughs> Jesse, just know that you sharing it just gives us energy. And that's the stuff that motivates us to, to keep winning or trying to win every single day. But you know what's really interesting about the, the the midday square is a lot of bars in the space either have this like cardboard tasty item to it or like aftertaste or they bloat you. And something that we mm-hmm. focused tremendously on was number one, being low sugar so that it doesn't spike your sugar level. So, you know, people that don't want to have their glycemic index spike up. Our bars are good for that. But number two was when you eat it, it digests well in your system. It doesn't make you feel nauseous. It doesn't make you feel like you have a stomach pain or gas pains. Our focus was give you that indulgence, but also give you the function that will keep you full for two to three hours throughout that afternoon, but feeling good and energized. And I think a lot of products today use artificial ingredients or you know preservatives or additives, and that's the stuff that's getting your digestive system all messed up. So mm-hmm. for us, we, focus, we put a tremendous 
focus and energy on the quality of the product so that when you eat it, you feel good. Yeah, no, that's amazing. And can you describe for us too, like the midday square is kind of the current stage that you're at, like how many stores, you know, how many, you know, what are some of the major retailers? Like we just talked about the Target launch and then like kind of what what's like top of mind for, you know, you and the team day to day as far as your growth stage? So for sure. So we started August 4th, 2018. Me, my sister, my brother-in-law, we are a family business, but didn't go into business because we're family. That's really a big one. We we went into business together because we are the best at what we do. And we basically, what I'm good at, my partners aren't good at. What they're good at, I'm not good at. So the complimentary part was really tremendous. And yeah, we we built, we had it out of necessity. We had no choice but to build our own factory due to the constraints of the co-mans or the co-packers that couldn't make the midday square the way we wanted. They couldn't use the ingredient deck. We wanted the profile and they, they couldn't understand the double stack that the bar is. It's a double stack layer. So we had to go invest in our own facility, which can support up to 70 million in revenue a year or 90,000 bars per day. That being said, we're in right now we're across Canada and US in 4,500 retailers. So Target being the largest one that just came on, but we're also available in five regions of Whole Foods, Sprouts Nationwide, Airwan, Foxtrot, Fresh Market, Fresh Time, Wegmans. And then in Canada, for those Canadian listeners, Sobeys, Metro, Longos, Farm Boy, Whole Foods, um, and many, many more. It, but the cool thing about our products, it's not placed where most of the bars are. In retail, it's placed in the refrigerator. Um, so that comes as its own complex, complex, uh, complexities. You know, from a supply chain angle, refrigeration is very difficult. And also lean manufacturing, our product goes bad after 120 days. That gives us a very short time to sell the product, right? You know, you have distributors, you have all these things that take time to get it to the retailer. And yeah, so we have to be very quick on our velocities and control the order the order schedules plus the manufacturing schedules. So that's really what's on our current mind day to day. But from a growth standpoint, you know, we started the three of us. Now we're a team of over 65 folks here, here in Montreal and some in the US. And yeah, we have our own facility. We we believe we're a media company within a chocolate company as well. And yeah, the whole idea is we want to be we want to be the next biggest chocolate snacking empire. And what I mean by that is imagine if Hershey's, Mars, Mondelez, Nestle, uh, you know, Cadbury Lint were to start in 2022, what would they look like? That's what we're trying to do. So we want to be here for the next 30, 40, 50, 100 years. We want to build a legacy brand, something that remains as a staple, just like Hershey's did over the last hundred years. But again, now with better for you products and a more dynamic brand, a more swaggy brand. Yeah, no, that's that's all amazing. I love that. And thank you. Thank you for sharing. And I wonder if you can share a little bit more on the the team structure, like, you know, what are kind of each of the focus areas for for you and your other two co-founders? And then what's kind of, a you know, is there how many people are, you know, kind of roughly are in marketing versus sales versus production, like just kind of love a little bit of an overview of the the team. So yeah, the three of us started it together. Uh, my sister and my brother-in-law are co-CEOs. So they they run the company from an operational standpoint, you know, finance reports into them, marketing reports into them, R&D reports into them, manufacturing reports into them. Um, CX reports into them. And what I do is I call it the rainmaking role. I call it chief rainmaker. And what it, what I do specifically is make sure that the brand and the community is always building. So the network of the brand is building, whether that be investors, whether that be journalists, retailers, I am continuously building those friendships. And I say friendships because it's first folks on making friends, then doing business. And what that does is it allows my partners who are so deep in the ops 
to focus solely on ops. So whenever they need to raise money, you know, they just got to text me and be like, we need money, this much money. Can you bring us people? And I'll have my list of friends that I've built over the, you know, the last four or five years that are ready to snap of the finger, invest in the company, or we need an article in, in Business Insider or Forbes. No problem. I'll call my friends up. So that's what the rainmaking role does is every single day is build the network, make noise, and then be the face of the brand typically. As for the structure of the company, you know, we have many departments. Our marketing team is a media team. I call I the reason I say that is because it's made up of content creators, editors, and videographers and and producers rather than typical, tr- you know, traditional marketers. So that's something unique about us is we believe it tremendously investing into the story and sharing that story of how we build this business to over $100 million in the next three years and showing the good, the bad, the ugly. As for sales, we have a VP of sales in the United States. We have a director of sales in Canada. Each of those individuals have uh, two to three folks um, on their teams. As for the finance team, we have a CFO who we recently brought on from a very, very big company who she is a rock star. And we have a a controller with her as well. Um, As for uh, R&D, it's three folks in there. And then production is about 42 right now. And then we have obviously plant managers, you know, QA, you know, all that stuff. So yeah, we're, we're a very standard structure with a hint of difference in terms of the media component, which is very like entertainment world rather than CPG or any other type of marketing role in, in, in that industry. Right. Yeah, no, that's, that's very helpful and super interesting. Um, I'm also wondering if you could, and a lot of the midday scores content, which there's so much great content, I'll definitely, you know, share all the links to all your different content in the show notes if people don't follow midday squares everywhere they need to. Um, but you know, there's a lot of, lot of mentions of road to a hundred million and world-class. And I actually heard Nick kind of talk through world-class on a recent, you know, a, a pot on your own podcast, not too long ago. And I was like, Oh, that's super interesting. Cause I see you all use those terms road to a hundred million world-class. And I wonder if you can kind of share with us what those mean and why they're so you know critical in a lot of your your marketing and what you share with everyone. Yeah. So first of all, two things. So first we we have a clear path from in terms of how we get to 100 million in revenue um, over the next two to three years. And that's just the model we've created to to drive the company. So everything goes into getting to that stage from, you know, there's a gross margin profile we need to hit. There's there's the team, you know, where the, the geo expansion, there's the retail expansion, there's the velocities we need to hit, there's the f- cash flow. So there's a lot of stuff that goes into the road to 100. And the idea we call it that is because at that point, you know, we believe we become a unicorn business because of the brand value that we're building. And I say this not with ego. I say this with what I've noticed from a community and the margin that we can get to as well from a gross margin standpoint. As for world-class, what world-class means is that basically we want to be the best at what we do. And world-class in, in, in our case is the highest level of manufacturing because we want to be the top people that understand how to do anything and leave no leave almost no area for mistakes or guessing. That's what world class is, is that everything is done by process um, with obviously the vision of our company of what we want to create, the magic vision that we have. But everything is done up to process so that there is very little mistakes and there is very little guessing. It's just follow the process and we'll get to where we got to get to. That is what world class is. Great. That's yeah, that's super helpful. And then there's a few things I kind of wanted to dig into. You you and the team are so transparent and and have been willing to just share, like you said, the good, the bad and the ugly. And so I, I wanted to talk through, you know, some of those like tough decisions that you've had to make and what that kind of looks like. Cause I think for founders and startup CPG, a lot of times we, all we hear about are 
everyone else's wins or the glory. And you all have done such a good job of sharing like, hey, this is super tough a lot of the the time. And so I wanted to get your perspective on, you know, just some of those inner workings of the team and how you manage the ups and downs of of every day, um, because you all are so open about that. And I, I really appreciate it. So th- that's kind of where where I'm hoping to, you know, to dive into a few things there. At the beginning, the goal was to show everything. So we felt that after looking at the ratings of a couple of shows, so Kardashians, keeping up the Kardashians, the TV ratings were on fire. And the reason why people love that show so much in, our, in terms of our research was that people loved the drama, the family drama, the posh life. Um, so that was one aspect. The second aspect was Shark Tank was on a tear as well in terms of viewership and ratings. And what's unique about Shark Tank is, is you basically saw the surface level of an entrepreneur. So people were starting to become interested in entrepreneurs to understand where, who they are, what's their story, you know, a little bit more than just the product. And what that led to is to slowly start to celebritizing entrepreneurship, similar to how chefs in like the early 2000s were starting to get celebritized through the MasterChef, the TV shows like Food Network, stuff like that. And then if you take, if you look at someone like Elon Musk in terms of his social media following, you would notice it was growing tremendously. And the reason why is not because um, Elon Musk's, you know, you know, it's not because of just Tesla, it's because of how bold he was and outspoken he was as an executive. He didn't fit the typical mold. So people either loved or hated him, but wanted to follow him, right? So what I said to my team was I said, guys, we are just going to make a baby of all three of these things. We are a family. We're going to show the drama of family, but we are also going to show the good and the bad of what it looks like to actually build a business. We're going to put the curtain and we're going to show it. We're going to pull back the curtain. Everyone's going to be able to see everything. And then the third thing was, is we're going to be outspoken founders. You know, we're going to be true to our character and that's going to allow us to have fans. And when you put all these three things together, this brings the customer along the journey with you. If we were to just show the good, you know, people would kind of get sick and tired of it because again, that the good is life isn't perfect. Life is hard. Business is not perfect and business is hard. So if you're not showing the whole story, then people start to feel a little bit uncomfortable. When you show the full story, people start, people can empathize, people can be part of, people can feel relatable, relatability towards you. And that's what we chose to do was share the breakdowns, share what we're actually going through, because there's many other people in the world going through similar types of situations. And what that did was it built our fan base stronger and stronger and stronger, where eventually this community was just driving tremendous amounts of sales for us, velocities in store, because they were attracted to the brand. They wanted to be associated. They wanted it to be an expression of themselves. And I think that most brands forget about the uh, the, the reason why communities build so much is because of authenticity. People mm-hmm. want to be around mm-hmm. real, genuine stuff. They don't want the fake cringe stuff. It's just, it's it's uncomfortable. So that's where we took this process and we still do it today. We film everything. There's cameras everywhere, everywhere in the office, everywhere we go on a trip, they're following us. And even in shit times when we're fighting with our, you know, my, my girlfriend, for example, if I'm fighting with my girlfriend, that stuff's documented. And the reason why it's relevant is because my performance might be affected by my personal life being, you know, in turbulence mode. And that really relates. It hits the cord on most people out there because that is the truth. And I think that that's where we as businesses and brands and you know in all industries need to get better at is sharing the full spectrum of what's going on. Yeah, that's that's great. There's uh there's so much that I I love in there and just really appreciate it and it's it's something that comes up a lot in startup CPG of just, you know, we hear founders relating to um relating to midday squares or feeling better, you know, seeing like, oh yeah, it's it, you know, it, it's it's tough out there. So, yeah, just just so appreciate it. And I'm curious to 
hear a little bit more. I w- again, I was, I'm. It's pretty obvious. I'm a um, you know, big midday squares fan, and I'm uh, uh definitely listen to the the uncensored podcast that you all have, and I'll link that in the show notes because I definitely think um listeners should check that out if they haven't yet. But I was really fascinated by the conversation that you, Nick, and Les were having about founder conflict, and you just kind of mentioned it again now, and um and how it can just really kill businesses. But a lot of people are not comfortable talking about it, or it seems like, oh, I shouldn't have conflict with my founder. But you all are like, no, conflict founder can, um, you know, can happen. And and we have a plan for it. And I think you have like a business coach and therapist. And I wonder if you can kind of tell us about like how you prioritize your founder relationships, relationships in general, how you, you know, what's your approach to conflict? And how do you just really stay on top of that? So there's a stat out there that I'm not sure what the exact number is, but I was looking up that why startups fail. And, and a big reason was that there's a founder conflicts actually ends the company. So partnerships can't work out because they don't get along. They're not the right fits, you know, et cetera. So when we started Midday Squares, I'll never forget before I joined as the third founder, my partner said to me, if you want to join, this is the one commitment we need. We need you to see therapy once a week with us. And I was just like, what does that even mean? Like, I'm a happy person. I don't need no therapy. I was so naive. And I was kind of like in this phase that I was like, I was so happy I didn't need it. You know, that's for people that need stuff. And I didn't need that. And that was my first impression. Then suddenly I decided to commit because I trusted my partners and I wanted to build this this business to become the next biggest chocolate snack. I mean, this was a requirement that was part of the contract. And when I went in there, the first session, it was horrible. The second session was horrible. The third, fourth, fifth was horrible. It was like bullets flying of feedback, criticism, these hard conversations that I just didn't want to be associated with. And then slowly I became one of the number one advocates for therapy in both personal and business life because this is a safe zone where you could have conversations, very difficult, hard conversations and work on your leadership, work on your communication, work on how you can become potentially more empathetic and have greater perspective. So we see this therapist together once a week in good or bad times. And that has held the glue together in this partnership where we've found deeper love for each other, deeper respect, better communications, are able to get somewhere quicker in terms of an argument or disagreement. And I think that every company should invest if they have the capital into this type of tool. This is a real tool similar similar how you need you need certain things to live. This is the same type of thing. And yeah, so we, we, we see therapy once a week and that has kept our partnerships stronger than when we started, before we started. Yeah, that's amazing. And do you, do you have, do you have a bit like a business coach or coaches as well in addition to, in addition to therapy? Well, the truth is, is we have, we have some great people that are surrounding us, um, that are surrounding us in, in, in the game, advisors, mentors, um, some coach, business coaches, I guess you can call them. And then Jim, Dr. Gavin, who's our therapist, who is like a business coach. So we do surround ourselves with, with folks that, that elevate us, that can relate to us, that can give us the hard, the hard details we need, the hard conversations, we need the hard feedback. And I think that that's super important to any entrepreneur out there. Go find people that inspire you, that allow you to think big, that make you make you feel uncomfortable at times, to push you out of that comfort zone. And those that will just be there in, in the rocky times and the good times, because that's what's going to allow you to get through this business. Because an entrepreneurship is a journey that is is a pressure cooker. It is one of the most hardest 
concepts ever. It's like becoming a professional athlete. You have to perform at the highest level and the pressure is just so high. So if you don't know how to deal or withstand that pressure, and if you don't have the tools around you to help you get through it, you're going to fold the cards. And you know, that's the game of entrepreneurship is who can hold out, who can withstand the most amount of pressure and have the most amount of grit with a great product. Um, I think that that's what is the difference between winning and losing. Yeah. And I think you, I think I was listening, I was listening to some of your stories about fundraising recently. And I think one of the things that that one of you or the other team members said is when you were looking for partners to raise money from, you didn't want to take money from anyone that you couldn't call at 3 a.m. Is that right? Oh yeah, that was that was brutal. That was brutal. So yeah, we um we we had to at 3 a.m. It, it was crazy that pro, like what the, you're talking about the refrigerator situation, right? Uh well, I I think I was um I think you you had mentioned that like uh, you you wanted to partner only with VCs or investors that you could call at 3 a.m. as far as partners. Yes, yes. Okay. Yeah. So sorry, I misunderstood. Yeah. So no, all good. Yeah. So the way that we look at partnerships with with our venture partners or private equity or or in you know angel investors or friend investors is the criteria is would we want to sleep on this person's couch at their homes? Um, and would they welcome the, us there in, in their cities when we come visit? And the reason why we will put that as a criteria is because this needs to be a friendship. This is a long game. This is something that isn't just a transaction. To some that may think it's a transaction, but at Midday Squares, that's not. The idea is that you are here, you believe in it, you are ready to fight the war with us, um, or just cheer us on on, on, on the sidelines with, with, with capital injections. But the idea is, the couch is a necessity. And the idea is that we, if we need to call you that late, that we're calling you because we need you, not because for the sake of just whistle and blow, you know? So I think that, I think that at the end of the day, like when you're choosing the people you want around you is you need people that are going to die on the hill with you. And that's where it's key to build relationships early on with your venture funds, with your angel investors, with your family and friends, you know, whoever you want part of your company, take the time to get to know them, let them get to know you share the information, be transparent, gain the trust. Because again, in the rocky times or in the good times, you're going to want them there in both times, not just one or the other. And I think that that's super important. Yeah, no, that's great. And and now you've piqued my interest about the 3 a.m. refrigerator situation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So let me share that. So basically, I thought you were talking about this refrigerator scenario where basically we have these reefer trucks that hold a lot of our stock because we don't have enough room in our facility. So we have these trucks that are just outside that are attached to the building that hold a ton of stock, like $500,000 at a time of chocolate bars and in some ingredients, et cetera. And, you know, at three in the morning one night I was away, but my sister, my brother-in-law received like, they, they got the, uh, like an alarm thing or a notification that basically our night shift told us that one of the fridges might not be working on the reefer. They're not sure there's, they can't find someone to fix the diesel gas that put, is put in it. Anyways, so my sister at three in the morning is like, oh shit, like it's so hot outside. It's like 30 degrees Celsius outside, which is so hot that oh, it's all going to melt $500,000. So she and my brother-in-law went to the facility, unloaded everything, hand unloaded everything for four hours straight on Saturday night at three in the morning until they fixed this problem. And then until they got that reefer fixed with the diesel truck, the diesel gas. But it's just like, these are the things that entrepreneurs have to deal with on a daily basis. If you don't, if you just, you sometimes you just want to let it go. And that's the pain, that's the pressure. But if she would have let it go, then I had not got out of bed exhausted, 
showed up at the facility, had to ha- literally hand unload everything, then it, we would have lost that $500,000 and that would have crushed us a little bit, right? And we went yeah. that stock on Monday for the retailers that needed it. So it's like, I always say that there's no certainty um, in, in the journey of entrepreneurship, but what world-class does is like we discussed before, is it kind of cuts up any guessing to that uncertainty, really. It, it, it kind of mitigates a lot of it in terms of processes that you, you put in place. Yeah, no, that's, wow, that's a, that, that's definitely a wild story. And thank you, thank you for sharing. I'm wondering if you have any other examples of like leaning on your your business therapist of like, you know, something, you know, something recent, or it could be further in the past where you like really leveraged that relationship to be like, okay, we need to work through this conflict to figure out kind of the next right step for midday squares. Do you have any examples you could share with us? Yeah, for sure. So the other, this is about a month and a half ago is we were going through a UPC change. So UPC change is really difficult in food. You don't just do UPC change, UPC code changes that we changed from a two square to one square. We did a bunch of rebrand. We had to do reformulation. We did everything under the sun in one bandaid rip. And we told our customers, but we're very transparent about it. But what it did is it did a lot of damage. Our bars wouldn't scan at the retailer because the barcode was too small. So it caused an actual hell breakout and customers were mad. They were also seeing our older tags that had a higher price point on it because they haven't changed the tags yet. So we had a lot of inbound of negativity, which we've never seen before. And when I got, we were going to film a podcast episode in the morning, Leslie, Nick and I, and we were under tremendous pressure from all these changes, all these problems that were, everything that could have went wrong, went wrong. And I'll never forget, I was telling Leslie, like, I was just wanting to vent to her. And I was right before Nick walked into the podcast room was about the negativity that we were receiving from some of the customers. And we were just going like back and forth, like not not with like tension, just playing ping pong, rallying back and forth about, you know, the situation. And then he walked in because he was so fragile under so much stress with all the pressure that was going on, he couldn't take it. So he like broke down. And what happened was, is immediately the first thing he did was go to the other room and call Dr. Gavin at like eight in the morning and basically called a session for the three of us to go over how he felt from that entire situation. What he needed to get by was in these moments of fragility, it's important to have very strong communication and not bring in extra problems that were like we were we were supposed to be coming in as performing for a podcast, not going at negativity. So we we used Jim, Dr. Gavin, as a tool in that moment to get us back on track to understand what just happened and how we can avoid that going on in the future. And then we actually re, we actually filmed and recorded the podcast after that hour session, forty five minute session with Dr. Gavin at eight in the morning, and that helped us. And again, it was a learning, right? It was a learning experience. Nick was fragile, understanding when he's fragile, how to understand that he's fragile and what not to do. And these are the, these are the types of things that happen all the time. And we, we, we use our toolbox as much as we can. Yeah, I really appreciate the commitment that you and the, the team have shared to, you know, we may not be the expert in everything, but we're going to, we're going to learn how to, how to become experts. We're going to be constantly learning, constantly leveling up. And, and I think that, that that's so interesting. And that like commitment just really shows through in in everything that you do, that you're, you're always trying to learn and level up and be better and, and just, and prioritize your relationships. And that's, it's so incredible. It's the most important thing. Yeah, for sure. I'm also, I'm wondering if you'd be willing to share with us. I, I think I got uh, I think I got an email about that you had to suspend your e-com shipments to the U.S. And that sounds like a really tough decision if I if I uh, un- understood us that correctly. And I'm wondering if you could kind of walk us through 
you know, through that, what goes into a decision like that? And, you know, yeah, when, what is it, what it's been like to, to manage any, any feedback on that? So, yeah, well, yeah, it's, it, this has been, um, a wild, wild experience. Um, we've gone, th- we've gone through a lot, you know, I think that, um, you know, we, we had to shut, we had to make this decision. I, it's a very difficult decision. So we were doing yeah. about 400 to $500,000 a month via D2C. So via our, 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 our online website and Amazon, let's call it together. Okay. And to make that decision to shut it off completely, except for Montreal, I mean, Quebec and Ontario, they're just two places because we have our shipping under control there is a very big opportunity cost and loss. So imagine maybe that Quebec and Ontario is responsible for 50,000. So we go down from doing 450,000 a month to 50,000 a month online, which then means that until it's solved. And what I mean by solved is our shipping has increased tremendously over the last five months. Shipping to California costs us $52 to get a package there in one day because our product needs to go in cold pack and not melt, right? So it needs to be insulated, one day shipping express. There's a lot of complexions with that because it's chocolate and fresh, but it went up to 56 or $52 from like 24 or something. So the decision was, is yes, we can continue to keep that going if we want to at the 450,000, 500,000, but we're going to be burning a lot more money quicker that way than than if we shut it off, figure out how to solve this problem from a supply chain standpoint, go to all the supply chain resources we have, the people, the groups, the this, the that, and figure out if we can get that down. Until that's not down, let's direct traffic to all the retailers like Target like Wegmans, like Whole Foods, Sprouts that we're available in, which is pretty much available across the United States and direct people to those stores using Instacart, using online, you know, you know, advertising. And that's where we focused our attention. It's a hard decision, but at the end of the day, it's not worth the burn that comes with it. The burn on the cash is difficult and cash is king at the current moment. Again, until your margin is at the right place that you need to get to, to burn that kind of money is is, is crazy. It's You're going to have to dilute your company more, raise more money, go through that process, distract yourself. So we decided to shut it off. It could be for two months. It could be for three months. It could be for one month. But the idea is, is we are working to get it back on. It's just our business is mostly re- retail, not even D2C, but the D2C was just a component that drove trial and drove customer loyalty that wanted, you know, bigger bulk volume buys, um, then going to the store and buying a couple of squares, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, I really appreciate you sharing about that. It sounds really tough. And I, like I said, I just appreciate it because I think it's helpful to, to hear from a company like Midday Squares and see kind of some of the, some of the struggles like this and for our community to be able to hear, you know, kind of your thinking of going through a tough decision like that because entrepreneurship filled with so many of those tough decisions. So thank you so much for sharing about that. I think it's important to share that the hardships, but it's also it's also important, Jesse, to to celebrate the wins and yeah. the wins of national launch of Target. We sold our 10 millionth chocolate bar. That means that's a crazy milestone. I never thought we would get there. 10 million chocolate bars have been sold out of our facility. Um, you know, and, and to customers. So, you know, and then just other small things like that. So you need to balance it because you need to create momentum as well. I think every entrepreneur needs to build that momentum, but also build the relatability and relatability comes from the hardship, the, 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 the failures, the stuff that we all go through. Momentum comes from wanting to cheer on and be associated with a winning, winning, winning mentality or company. Yeah, no, that's great. Are there 
other other um those are some incredible wins are there some other wins that uh recent wins that you'd like to share or are all and also how do you kind of remind yourself and the team how do you all you know do you have any ways that you kind of take time to to celebrate those intentionally so we do town halls with our team and we celebrate that all there we we, we get it like wolf of wall street style it's like a it's really high energy it's wild it's crazy but internally we also have our our channels that we communicate and we always uplift everybody and share the little wins, even if that's like a merchandise win in, in a store where we got a secondary placement, or if that's a win on on a margin increase, or if that's a win on, you know, a new team member or it's a birthday, we're always celebrating. But I think some of the other bigger wins that we've had is we're we're 95% automated right now in terms of our facility. This facility is something that was never built before. No one's ever built this line. We are the only people in the world with this line. So I think that that was a big milestone after three and a half years. Um, another one was you know, just, you know, having, you know, extreme growth, you know, growing, you know, 100% year over year, these are big retail, these are big sales increase numbers. And I think that a lot of companies just want to celebrate the big, big stuff. But I think it's important to also win on the small stuff, like, like that secondary placements, like, you know, a team member's birthday or, 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 or a little win on flavor profile, like these are the things that will keep the momentum train moving. And it compounds very, very quickly. Yeah, yeah, no, that's, it's so important. And yeah, that I, I love hearing that. And I hope that, um, yeah, I've seen, I've seen it myself when you can kind of keep building that, that momentum and, and, and keep riding it. It does really, it does really start to build up. Um, I'm also wondering if you can share with us about, we were, we were both at an online event last week and I think you talked a little bit about your daily, like little dance break routine and it's simple, uh-huh. but I also love it. I'm wondering if you would just share that with us. Oh, that's my favorite thing in the world is, um, is to get people in any state of their, their, their mind or environment it could be a corporate, it could be at their, at their, you know, at school, it could be at their home to take a second to just step back, get into a mindset where you want to let loose, bring the child out inside of you, have fun, dance, get your body moving. Because that what that does is it creates this energy, this mindset where you're completely in a new zone from all the stress and you're the pressure you have. You take that moment to step out. And then when you come back into it, you feel so energized, fired up, um, you know, blood flowing, amped up. And I think that it's, it it originally was just like something I did for fun. Now I'm getting to do it all over the world because it spreads great energy. It makes people laugh. It, it brings joy out of humans. It brings that, like I said, the child out of everybody, which is so necessary because everyone's so serious. And it also changes your mindset before you go into something maybe very serious or even to something that's not serious. It just restarts your mind. And yeah, I love dancing to throwback music and it fires people up. So go out there. If you're listening to this podcast, Take one minute right now to step back, close your eyes, throw on a song that you haven't heard in a long time that makes you move and just let loose as if no one's watching and the world doesn't care. Just have fun. Be a rock star. Okay, pause. If you didn't press pause like the Rainmaker, Jake Carls, just told you to, then I'm going to do it for you. Let's take a less than one minute dance break, you and me together right now. I mean, how proud of us will Jake be? And let me tell you, I am not a dancer. Adding this segment makes me feel very uncomfortable and nervous. But that's the level that Jake inspires me and hopefully you. So whether it's bobbing your head in the car, full on dancing in the kitchen, or just tapping your foot during your bench press at the gym, we're dancing right now. Or you can skip ahead a minute. I cannot take that power away from you. So I'm standing up right now. 
lifting up my podcast mic, Freddie Mercury style, and we are going to dance to Our Past by the Super Fantastics, the band of Startup CPG's founder, Daniel Scharf. All right, this is catchy. I'm getting some like line dance vibes. Maybe that's just the country girl in me. like that. Nice. And now we're all wondering about Daniel's mysterious past, but that's for another podcast. I've actually reminded, added a reminder on my phone for a dance break every day now based on this chat with Jay Carls. So feel free to borrow that idea. Take a little dance break once a day. And now we're going to get back to it. Pressing play. That's awesome. I love it. Yeah. For for those listening at this, uh, like you said, you you've done this all over the world at this particular event last week since I was there, you know, Jake's in the car, on the road, pulls over, gets out of the car, has got, you know, got the camera on him, dancing on the side of the road, puts, we put on the YMCA and everybody in their little Zoom window um, yeah. is just, is dancing. And it just, it was like, it was such a like refreshing little break. And, you know, when you've had kind of a formal even event where people are kind of, they got their game faces on or they're talking investment and then everybody can just kind of like have fun, let loose for a moment. And it just, it really was like a refreshing, a refreshing little time. And I, I thought that that was just really cool. It was so much fun. It was so wild that it was on a highway in the middle of nowhere. The people <laughs> on there were dancing. Everyone was good vibes, good energy. And I had a lot of fun. I was out of breath after. And I think other people were too. And <laughs> yeah. it just created, it, it, gave, it gave an amazing midday break to the, the conference that was going on. And I mean, the, the pitches that were going on and all that stuff. And, and that's mm-hmm. what was fun. We need more fun in this world. Good vibes, good energy, positivity, being yourself. These are the things that we as a society need more of. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm also wondering if you can kind of talk about like you're, you're self-manufactured. You, it sounds like you have an incredible facility. Can you talk about how you you really intentionally build the culture and and have those and and have that you know intention and good vibes within your your own self manufacturing because doing your own manufacturing and having a huge team like you mentioned that's a lot of people that you all want having good vibes making chocolate having a good time enjoying their work and so you know what are some of the ways you you manage that you men- mentioned like town halls and celebrating but i'm kind of curious of some other ways that you're intentional with kind of the culture of such a large team yeah i think the first thing is is bringing everyone under the same roof so um our manufacturing production associates are in the same building as our operation team right so our finance marketing all that stuff sales and i think that everyone is equal here. And I think that making that clearly and and celebrating everyone individually, like, you know, like people have different food, like, you know, we have so many different cultures here. So celebrating those cultures actually creates a place where there's so much respect for everyone because everyone knows how much work each person, each group, each department puts into making this vision come true is what we do. But keeping a strong company culture is the hardest, 
hardest task. Um, and it takes a lot of energy, a lot of work, a lot of empathy, a lot of um, wanting to understand and wanting to be part of um, in terms of in terms of building that culture. And I think that we've done a good job. We're not there yet. We're not perfect, but we're definitely working to get better and better every single day and make it a place where people actually call home that actually want to come to and are proud to represent because they, they are People are everything in a business. People are what will drive you from the zero to 10 million and the 10 million to 100 million and the 100 million to a billion. It will be from people and great product and great storytelling. If you don't have those three, you're in trouble. So I think that investing in your culture is super important, but don't just do like a, a bowling night for the sake of doing it. Do what what's authentic to the culture that you want to create and and water the plant because it takes a lot of work. Yeah. Yeah. And can you share a little bit about like what it looked like to support this target launch um, from like a manufacturing perspective and from the team? Like because you you have a short shelf life like you and then you're trying to roll out at the same time in like thousands of stores across the country, like you really have to thread the needle on that. And I'm kind of curious if you could share a little bit about what that looked like behind the scenes to make the target launch happen. So first off, shout out to the Moscow group who was our broker is our broker with the target team. Shout out to our sales team who's done a phenomenal job. And and also the shout out to the target team itself. They are superstar humans. They are one of the easiest people to work with, easiest groups of people to work with, most passionate and believe they really believe in midday square. And, and gave us a really big shot at, at winning big. You know, it's not often you see a company go into, especially a Canadian company, go into this retailer and get all doors, 1,700 stores across the country in the first order. That's crazy. Um, so that's that's number one. Number two, from a support standpoint, yeah, there's a lot of work. You know, we're starting to work with a lot of influencers that are specific to Target, so Target people that shop at Target and their community shop at Target. We're also working on their app to do some cool things. We're having merchandisers in the stores because out of stock seems to be a problem. So making sure at the top 25% of the stores, we have merchandisers in there once a week minimum. Um, and yeah, and then just building towards you know, building our brand more and more and more over the United in the United States and Canada. And, and that helps with the store locator and people want to search for it. So, and then making sure that our product is in stock is the number one thing that needs to be there. You know, um, it can't sit in the back. It can't just not be on the shelf. So focusing on how we get that, make that happen has been the strategy in terms of marketing, et cetera. Yeah. Wow. And I think you've, you've used your, um, not, not used in a negative way, but like, uh, you know, your community has rallied around merchandising in the past. I think you solve like what would have been like a hundred thousand dollar merchandising problem with like the midday squares community, like going around the country and, and helping out. Is that right? That is 100% correct. Our community, our fans have been so helpful. They are an army of folks that go out there Give us the visibility on the streets on what's going on at the retailers. They go in, they fix the merchandising. They are absolutely amazing. And like without them, I don't think, without them, they wouldn't be, A, there wouldn't be people buying the product. But number two is we wouldn't be doing as well as we are in retail because they help merchandise. They help make sure that we have the stock. They give us the visibility that we need to go get to solve problems or to, you know, get these new opportunities. So it's like, yeah, activate your community. If you have one, that's what they're there to do. They want to help. They're part of the brand. And I think a lot of companies either don't invest in that or don't, you know, don't create a real community or they just, they don't do it properly. They, they just, they just basically use their community for sales. That's not what we're doing. We're, we're engaging them if they want to help. And it's, you know, 
by by doing that, they're making this vision come true. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, you've got you've got one Portland uh, Target store covered by a volunteer uh, merchandiser right here. So, <laughs> and I'm sure that the that your fans are are uh, excited to to check out their uh, make sure that their local Target is all set up all over the country. Yeah, well, just know Jesse that that means the world to us. And if you can make that Target store in in, in Portland, Oregon, look unbelievable and make sure that the squares are stocked there and spread the love. That would mean the world to us. You know, we, we I would give you a big hug. I'm going to give you a big hug when I see you. And uh, yeah, let's just, let's go win. Let's go out there and build that next Hershey's. You know, no one has challenged the chocolate industry for the last hundred years. It's been five brands by, it's been dominated by five brands and they typically acquire every brand that tries to get up there. What happens when one can actually climb past that? Yeah, I I can't wait to, to continue to see what the midday squares team uh, does, my only challenge in uh, in being in merchandising at Target will not be just buying all the product myself. I got to save some to to, sh- to share with the rest of the world. Um, but definitely our startup CPG community, myself, we're all we're all rooting for you and and trying to support on this journey. So it's just been so fun to have you on the show and share with our team and. You know, I'll, I'll put lots of notes in the show notes for all the ways that everyone can keep up with Midday Squares, but just really appreciate you coming on the show, Jake. Just know that I appreciate you and Startup CBG tremendously and giving us a voice always is such, it, it, we, I, it just means a lot. I hope you know that, you know, this is what fuels us as a business to keep going through the hardships, the pain, the the loneliness, the suffering that, that entrepreneurship does have, but this is the fun part, right? Is is working with people like you and and speaking with people like you and 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 doing stuff with startup CPG. So keep doing what y'all are doing. I love you guys and I'm excited to hang. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you for listening in today. I'm so honored you joined me for this conversation and I love hearing from you all with feedback, suggestions, or if you just want to say hi at podcast at startupcpg.com or you can find me on LinkedIn. If you liked this episode, we'd love for you to share it with a friend or colleague, subscribe so you don't miss future episodes, and maybe even leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. If you aren't yet in our Slack community of founders and experts, we'd love to see you there. You can get the free invite at startupcpg.com and find all our other awesome resources there like webinars, databases, the blog, the magazine, and virtual and in-person events. And if you found yourself rocking out to our intro and outro music, which I do every single time, make sure to check out the Super Fantastics on Spotify. It's the band of our startup CPG founder, Daniel Scharf. I'm Jesse Freitag, your host and producer. And on behalf of the whole team at Startup CPG, thank you for being here and see you next week.